Tina Koto, and welcome to Season 2 of the New Zealand Society of Authors Oral History Podcast. I'm Karen Hay. Thank you for joining me as we dive deep into the archives to hear New Zealand authors share their experiences of living as a writer in Aotearoa. Elsie Locke was a leader and writer for the New Zealand peace movement, living through almost the whole of the violent 20th century. But to most New Zealanders, she is best known for her children's writing. At one time, almost every home in the country had a copy of her children's novel, The Runaway Settlers. At the age of 87, she sat down with Alison Gray to talk about her years as a writer. Elsie joined PNNZ in 1965 while living in Christchurch, but as she told Alison, Christchurch was a tiny branch and there wasn't much she could do to be involved. Mainly paying the sub and keeping the correspondence and finding out what we were, you know, in general what was going on. But the um, international aspect of Ken was really big at the beginning and it's for those that go in for it, it's pretty big now. Mm. And did you, what were the kind of issues Ken was dealing with in the 60s? Well, the public lending right came yeah. up fairly early in the piece. Mm-hmm. And you, that was important to you? Oh, that, that was important. It was obvious. I was um, reading some of the Australian stuff at the time, you know, the, the, the Australian author before the New Zealand author. <laughs> And uh, they wanted to form a section in New Zealand, oh. but didn't come off. Oh. Might have been the help, I don't know. Right, so the lending right was it something you supported, obviously. Yes, yeah. right, yeah. Might be wrong here, but my recollections tell me that neither Clark McKenna did the donkey work, and, and uh, what's his name? Ian Cross. Ian Cross got all the credit. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> That's the way it goes, isn't it? And so, what? So that was an important issue. Out of trade union, yeah, union issues like getting fair pay from publishers or magazines or things. Did that kind of stuff come up? Yes, but you know, when you're on your own, you've got much idea of how to go about it. Mm. So, did most of the energy come from Wellington? Was the Christchurch just a supporter of the Wellington? Oh no, Christchurch was very slow catching up. Oh. Yeah. What made the difference? Because it's a lot more active now, isn't it? Just that we've got more people, and perhaps mm. from the point of view of the organisation, better people. Mm. I think that's it. Mm. Just a people thing. We have got some very good people here. Because um, Stephen Eldred Grigg became quite vocal, didn't he? Yes. Yes, he did. I haven't always agreed with him. Mm. 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 So at the meetings, did they have things like um, readings, or was it a literary thing or a union emphasis? Oh, it's, it's always been a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Things like the, well, there's a Books and Beyond Festival coming mm. up shortly. And mm. That sort of thing we talk about. And, and the people who are just new to us, and give them a chance to talk about what they like and oh, their yeah. Well, we now have a writer in residence in Canterbury. Mm-hmm. 
when I started, there was absolutely nothing in that field except administration. So that's a good move, you think? Yes, it's always been a good move. And then what about publishing in New Zealand? How has that changed when you from when you began? Oh, I'm this is the mess. <laughs> I'm sticking to Chris. Yeah. I don't want anybody to see that. Now, I was very fortunate in one way with the Runaway Circus. I had been, uh, I did uh, go to university in Auckland, bought the way through, wrote a book about it in the end. And, uh, of course, I knew Blackfoot Paul very well, and Blackfoot Janet Paul was in business at the time. And uh, one day, when I just finished the Runaway Circus, I thought, well, this is really, what will I do with it? I get a ring on my phone from Blackwood passing through. Mm-hmm. We got a book for shit. <laughs> so that was no problem, and they fixed up the joint publication uh-huh. with um, Cakes in England. So oh, that's right. how I got dual publication from the very beginning. Probably no book was in due course taken over by Penguin to England. So it was the handling of it was never any problem until the very end when it dried up. And when English Penguin finally gave it up, I wrote to <laughs> Penguin Auckland because we had a New Zealand Penguin then and asked them would they continue it. Oh, they said, no, it's not adapted to the 90s. Well, that just rocked me. <laughs> It's not suitable to the 90s. I don't know to this day what they mean. Because it's historic times are a novel anyway. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't continue it? No, no. No. So the relationships with publishers, that, yeah, that was, Blackwood and Janet Paul would have been um, no problems with royalties and mm. all the contract arrangements. And well, no. I didn't really have any problems. But I had a hell of a lot of problems when it was taken over by Longman Paul. What kind of problems have you had? Payments. Just seems to be a continuing saga. I think the publishers now are more um, accommodating to writers than they used to be. Oh, yes, almost certainly. And do you think Pam had anything to do with that? Yes, of course. Mm. With the standard contract and so on. You had some pretty good people. So did you go to any international events with no. kind of pen? No. Not nothing to do with pen. <laughs> but I was invited and paid for it was a favorite gone to Vancouver for the children's Pacific Rim Conference yep. on Children's Books, and that was an eye opener all around. Oh, wow. Well, it's the only overseas trip I've ever done. I've never had any money in mm. mm. <laughs> And what was interesting about that? The thing that tickled me most, they had storytelling sessions. That was new to me. Um, it was all held in the University of British Columbia, where we were accommodated in the student hostel and most all sorts of little in-between times when they had storytelling sessions. And the various authors from the various countries gave their talks and I gave mine. 
But every author that was there just at that had a funny story about put downs for people who write children's oh. books. We had a one sort of informal passage of time when everybody was mostly stories. And yes, we all had them. But I met professors of children's literature oh, the other, these were yeah. from the other states. Well, now, of course, it's children's literature's recognised in English departments. My good, my he gets an OM. So, children's literature has become more uh, mainstream? Oh, yes, it has. And it's become recognised. But it's funny, you know, when I brought out students at the gate, which is a professional gentleman that lives not far from here, and I have known well for many years, stopped me in the street and said, I've seen you, said, I've read your book. Oh, I said, which one? (laughs) I knew which one, yes. And he said, I didn't realise you couldn't write. I said, I've been writing professionally for 25 years. Oh, but that's different, isn't it? Because he talked about children's literature. It was just playtime, wasn't it? (laughs) Sorry. But then at the other end of the extreme, the University of Canterbury finally bestowed a honorary doctorate on me. Mm Largely sparked by my historical writing children. Ha ha ha. Yes. So yes. there you are. So that, um, <coughs> that's been quite a big turnaround, I think, hasn't it? Yes, it's been a big turnaround. Right. But it still doesn't get you book published. Mm-hmm. So it's still quite hard to get published. Well, every book, well, every book's got to stand on its own feet. Mm. Oh, I don't, I'm not anticipating any trouble now. Mm. Uh, I would like to see a few more red prints. Yep. Yep. Because I hate seeing my books go print on their head or uh, things have a short shelf life these days. Well, they uh, they remain mm. so soon, Sometimes and they often do it very clumsy. Now that's the weak point. Shows I'm concerned. Doesn't feel good, does it? No, it doesn't. Demeaning. So, as, as well as um, the public lending, right? There are things like the look fund and the arts council and Creative New Zealand. Yes. How do they? Um, Relate for writers, have they been helpful or teams been involved? Never had any direct effects from the fund. I'm sure, no. But Pen was represented, I think, on the lip fund. Oh, yes, it was. Mm. Mm. Were Christchurch people involved in that or not? Not particularly, no. Is that a lack of, um, again, availability of people by the sound in Christchurch? It's a small organisation. What about how many people would have gone to those early meetings? Yeah. Doesn't do that. Doesn't that, yeah. We don't discriminate, you know. Because in the early days pen pen was something you had to be nominated. Yes. For. Did. Yes, yeah. that's right. And only published authors. But that's not so now. No, it's not so. Now. What do you think that's a good move or a Oh no, I think it's going to be much better. Okay. Yeah. So aspiring writers can do it as well. People who haven't published much or perhaps have just published one non fiction book on their specialty and left it with mm. them. So, well, except the same as other mm. people. It does slightly change it from a um, literary yes. organisation more to a trade union. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> something you'll prove of. Well, I'm always amused that some people think, oh no, surely not. Hey, <laughs> Well, I've always been a strong supporter of 
What about the London flat issue? Was that something you had any views about? London what? Flat. Do you remember there was a quite a Oh, well, it would never have touched me. <laughs> I've always found my own, actually. I used a series of places when my children were small and my husband was home. I really had to get away mm. from privacy to do anything mm. to the extent. But I always found somewhere. So that wasn't, didn't concern you that issue about? No, it wouldn't have concerned me very much. And there was some argument as to whether it was only for privilege and you, etc., etc. I didn't want to go to England. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I'm writing about this year and I want to be here. So that was sort of passed you by, really? Yes. Yeah. What about any um, grievances? Did you have any complaints, sort of system or so on? Did people use the pen for that? I don't think so. No, that was the well, I don't think anybody misused it or mm. tried to do too much of their own. Yet people, hobby horses, I mean, Steve and Rob would have some real hobby horses about we weren't getting our share yeah. geographically. Oh, yes, that's right. And I think that was after mm. I wasn't personally in his camp on that one. Yes. He's a nice bloke and he works hard. So it's, how important has Penn been for you? Well, I think it has been important. Mm. And certainly the public lending rights, which mm-hmm. has been a, a good standard. And the first year it was conferred to my astonishment, the greatest number of biggest county libraries, because they're otherwise settlers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, every home must have had one, else. My kids all had one. Hmm? Oh, yes, well, it's always been popular yes. with children, but the odd point about the runaway settlers is that the year it was published, the only prize we had at that time was the Estegain Award, which wasn't awarded in any year when there wasn't a good enough entry. Oh. It was not awarded in 1965. I got the Galen Gordon Award mm-hmm. last year, and I oh, 34 years <laughs> after <laughs> later <laughs> time. <laughs> Look, all these things are dependent on the new judges, and... Uh, Judging, as far as I'm concerned, judging any competition, I will not have anything to do with because I don't think I've got the right sort of critical mind for it. And I love things because I like them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which sounds simple and naive, but that's the way I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah. So the, who the um, judges are? Judges were. I've never known. Oh, right. No, never known. And I can only assume that it was a kind of book that they weren't used to. And then it got into a list of the best books of the year published in England. So you got one in the eye for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all right for the English. <laughs> that was really good, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. And one of my books, Journey Under Warning, uh, got no hearing of the viewers either. Now that book had a, a very awkward publishing record because it was published by Oxford University Press and they misscandled it mm. shocking. But anyway, it got nowhere and they sent me the judge's comment on it. Elsie Locke has one for me. Rich man bad, poor man good. 
look, you need a sense of humour. Yes. Because it's not true of that book. And if you think about it in connection with other books, I certainly pay more attention to working class life all around, you know, I'm sure. Mm. Because that's what interests me. Yes. That's the kind of world I'm used to. Yes. I mentioned this to my daughter, Ellie. She laughed. She said, you'd be at a disadvantage, wouldn't you, Maggie, if you had to write about heroes like Ron Byler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so on. Which certainly, because I know nothing about how Mm. they live, really. Mm. But I know how working class people live. That's my element. Mm. So it's important to write about what you know. So it was actually very, very prejudiced comment that was. I'm Karen Hay and this is the New Zealand Society of Authors Oral History Podcast. We'll be back to this podcast in a moment, but we want to remind you that NZSA is a professional representative body which lobbies for the rights of all authors in New Zealand. Right now, NZSA is working on the 2019 Copyright Act Review, lobbying for the right of authors to retain control over their work. To learn more about this important issue and to find out more about membership, visit authors.org.nz. Elsie Locke was a very popular children's author. However, one thing that always concerned her was publishers not keeping a good backlist of her work. Alison Gray asked Elsie about this and how it affects writers when their work goes out of print. Oh, it's very much an issue. And not many publishers have a backlist. And if they do, they don't really let people know much they've got it. But you can foss a gout if it's in print You can foss a gout. But it is, I think it's an issue too with the market, isn't it, being quite small in New Zealand at least? Yes, well, as far as children's books are concerned, there's a new generation of children mm. coming up all the time. Mm. It's a certain desire for novelty, isn't it? Well, one or two of my books I really greatly like to have, really think that there's a lot of a sway to publish it and do it. One of them, The End of the Harbour, which is a local book for the place where I grew up, Waiuku, they've got a local man who's a sort of a, he's a general printer, but he's a printer publisher, his name is Will D, he's rather fun. And he's doing a good printer. Oh, of his own back. The interesting about that book, though, you see, times change and fashions change. Mm-hmm. The Waiuku people tended, as far as their ancestors were concerned, to believe they were all the manipulative. And some of them coming up in a very bad life. I'm talking about real people. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I started doing local history, I was a bit of a history. When I went to school, there was no such thing as local history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I started to find out what happened, I found out why it was a frontier town at the time of the Waikato War. 
and some very exciting things they can do around here. But they weren't very complimentary <laughs> to the local people. <laughs> I was quite fascinated, so anyway, I wrote up this book, which is pretty close to fact. And I also got Maori help to go to Maori side. The local people paid very little attention to it. That's the last year it could last. I spent little time at home. I still call it home. Mm-hmm. The relations between Maori and Pākehā are now quite different mm-hmm. and very helpful as far as the Maori But I discovered that three copies remain mm-hmm. in the library of the high school and they are always out mm-hmm. as soon as they come in. They are very well read by the students. Right. Now, see, it's because it's you've got so much to say about places they knew. Names which ring on, there's still the streets named after some of these local people. So So it's going to be republished, reprinted. Well, Bill Deed will make a job of it. Yeah. Yes. I think there is a great uh, interest in local history now, isn't there? People rediscovering that. Oh, yes. 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 Everywhere. Everywhere. Mm. Yes. Well, the historians are keen about it, but also there's quite a lot of rent amateurs get to yes. recognize that something. So long as they do it sensitively, that some of the early sort of things that were brought out, for instance, for school jubilees, just lists of names, just plain boring as far as most people go. Yeah, you'd be a good storyteller as well. You've got to. Yes. You've got to know how yeah. to tell a story. Mm. And this is something a lot of outsiders don't appreciate. They say, well, I could write a book. Mm. This isn't that in my life. Say so there is, but can they write it? But I don't know. Mm. Mm. That's right. There's a bit of a difference, isn't there, between having a story and telling a story. Two particular sisters who used to correspond with me, then I thought, I'd one of them made everything sound dull and the other one made everything sound funny. Yeah, same story. Oh, yeah. it was, yes. Yes. Well, the same event. Yes. Yes. You know. yes. Yeah, it's a little flair, isn't it, around? Yes. About you can be perspective on things. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, most of us who do write books in the end, we cultivate that flair, don't we? Yeah, that's right. So are you working on something now or...? That's a question I will not answer. Oh, right. Neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I generally say nothing important. That's mm. quite true. But um, I find if I talk about things that I need, um, cool. I lose momentum and I lose mm. concentration. Mm. Some people love it. Talking about what they're doing now. Work in progress. Mm. They publish a chapter from the work in progress. Margaret Atwood had it up. She dressed a lunch hour gathering here. Somebody in the audience said, What are you writing now? A book, she said. <laughs> oh, I could have hugged her. Yeah. I she was just lovely. Yeah. It's a kind of private thing, isn't it, until it's out? As far as I'm concerned, it's a private thing. Yeah. I don't want to pass it on, share it, or anything no. until it's no, that's done. And I know you've always got to have three drafts of it. Yeah, yeah. So do you write by hand or? Oh no, I use a typewriter. 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 Yeah, I've got one of these. I'm one of the survivors. Yes, 
good on you. So anything else about um, workers' rights or your income from writing or agents? Well, the income's always very little. It's experimental to a large extent. It's a kind of, this is a common, common story that, like many other authors, I wrote an awful lot as a child, and I wanted to be a writer. And, uh, but it, the effort at the time in Newman, where I was in a very small town, mm-hmm. was that if you had any brains, you had to be a teacher or a nurse. What else was there? But also, you did boost your own achievements. So it was fighting and it wasn't done definitely. So, if anybody said to me, What are you going to be in your And I said, I'm going to write books. You've got a ha ha or a extreme contempt. So, who do you like writing for best, children or adults? Well, I've always loved writing for children, partly because I like the kids. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, it seems to me that the writing community in Christchurch is alive and well enough to Oh, at it, the is, moment, it is. It is. Very lively. Very lively. <laughs> and the good festivals and. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Very fond of most of them. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, some of them, most of them. Mm. They seem quite supportive as a group. Oh, yes, they are. Mm. Is there any other issues you think Pen MZSA should get its. No, the business mm-hmm. about remaining disabled is one of my Yes. But there's a lot to be watched as far as copyright concerned uh-huh. too. Yeah. And uh, photocopying mm-hmm. and all that to me. Yes, I think it's like some other professions you've just got to watch all your time. Mm-hmm. But uh, nothing goes wrong. You've been listening to an interview from 2000 between Elsie Locke and Alison Gray on the New Zealand Society of Authors Oral History podcast. Elsie, who was 87 at the time, died the following year, and this interview remains a tanga to New Zealand about her life and work. This podcast was produced by Elizabeth Kirby MacLeod for the New Zealand Society of Authors with funding from Pub Charity Limited. Noturno by Ottorino Respighi, which you are listening to now, is performed by Justin Bird. The audio was digitised and provided by the Alexander Turnbull Library. I'm Karen Hay and this was a New Zealand Society of Authors oral history podcast. Kakite anō.